Well, good morning, Existence Church. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Welcome. Happy Sunday. Uh, as that hottie said in the video, we are starting a new series. That's my wife, by the way, in the video. Uh, a new series today called Into the Wilderness, looking at some of those spaces, those places, those seasons of our life where we might not expect God to do something, we might not expect God to grow us, but yet as we're going to look throughout the scriptures over the next four weeks, that that's actually the space that God loves to do some of his best work is in the places that we least expect it. And so uh, if you're new around here, we are so glad that you chose to join us this morning. Uh, how we teach around here is kind of in this thing, all this series, where we kind of spend a couple of weeks, four, five, six weeks, talking about kind of the same idea, and when we run out of things to say about it, we move on and choose a different series and start a new topic. But uh, we are so glad that you're here, and, and if you are here for the first time, uh, there's a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. We would love to invite you just to grab that, let us know a little bit about yourself, plus we'll give you something to do if you're bored during the message. Uh, you can fill that out and then take it to our Welcome Center as you leave. We have a gift for you. Uh, but over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a topic that, I mean, I grew up in church most of my life, and, and we never talked about this, that God actually wants to meet us in those places that we don't even want to be in. And so we're going to look at four different characters throughout the scriptures. This morning, we're looking at Jacob. Next week, Moses. The third week, King David. And then finally, we're looking at Jesus, who even though we believe he is the son of God, he was a human just like us, and he experienced his own wilderness season. And we're going to look at what they did in those spaces, what they learned from them, learn some things that we can utilize in our own stories, and ultimately, how God, see how God was faithful throughout that entire process. So as we dive in today, looking at this idea, uh, we have to honestly assess the fact that the wilderness can be both inviting and intimidating, right? Like, how many of you would say, you know what, I love being outside, I got a nature pathway, I want to go camping, yep, some of you. Others of you, you're like me, Holiday Inn is about as, you know, rugged as you get. Yep, right on, you're my people, let's go hang out. Uh, but some of us, like, you love to put, like, everything you need, all the necessities on your back and, like, go out into uncharted territory and, like, we're just going to figure it out. When we get there, and you're brave and amazing, and, and I don't get it, uh, and, and others of us, we love our kind of curated, comfortable life, but yet, when it comes to the seasons of our soul and the wilderness that we experience internally, where our emotional and spiritual and heart landscape can feel desolate and wild, can feel so much larger than we probably ever expected or anticipated, and relief and kind of quenching that desire that whatever we're searching for kind of feels out of reach, oftentimes we can find ourselves stuck and find ourselves simply wanting to escape from those wilderness seasons, and yet God says, I have something for you in those raw and unoccupied spaces of our life. And so as a backdrop, if it's helpful, one of the books that uh, I read as we kind of were prepping this series, and I would highly encourage it, is by Brene Brown. Uh, she's written a number of incredible books, but this one's called Braving the Wilderness, uh, and I would highly encourage you if you want to read this book. Uh, it talks a lot about this idea. But one of the quotes that stood out to me in this book, she says this, says, Belonging so fully to yourself, where we're all craving the space of belonging, where we belong, a lot of us come to church for that reason. Belonging so fully to yourself that you're willing to stand alone actually is a wilderness. I don't know about you, maybe you're introverted and you love alone time. If you're like me and you're an extrovert, like I really don't love being alone. It's scary to me. And yet this idea of being able to have the bravery to stand alone for the things that matter to you, the things that you believe in, is actually a wilderness in and of itself. An untamed, unpredictable place of solitude and searching. And ultimately that's what the wilderness is all about. It's a place where, yeah, we can go for some quiet and some alone time and some space, 
But there's also the wilderness seasons where we feel alone. And the idea of going for solitude shifts into this vulnerable place of feeling like I don't know where I fit. Or for some of us, it can be this idea that the wilderness is wide and expansive and that has an adventure attached to it, but eventually in our life it can become a frustration where the life we've tried to create for ourselves and manage for ourselves begins to perhaps wear off. And so where is it for you that you find yourself in the wilderness? Maybe for some of you, you've come through a wilderness season. You, you were in a wilderness season in your relationships, and then you found someone in your life, and now it feels like you're out of that. Or maybe for some of you, you're still craving it, and summer's coming, and it's wedding season, and you're wondering if you're still going to be the bridesmaid instead of the bride, and you wonder, where is God? Some of you, it might be a season of wilderness in your finances, that, that you are trying to figure out how to make steps forward, but no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, how much even you pray, it doesn't seem to be getting any better, and you can wonder, how am I going to get out of this? For some of us, it could be a space in our faith where we're wondering, is this wilderness that I feel stuck in, where God doesn't seem close, where things are really difficult, is there hope for me? Am I doing it wrong? And yet we see throughout the scriptures, again, we're looking at four different people, uh, but yet there are multiple stories of wilderness throughout the Bible that God always takes someone who's going to be used by him to do a powerful thing, always takes them through a season of wilderness because there's something that he has for them there. For many of us, myself included, we try, and if you're honest, you're probably the same way, we try to get out of the wilderness as quickly as possible. Like when we're in a wilderness season, I'm like, get me out of here. We try to get out of the wilderness as quickly as possible, but instead God invites us to get out of the wilderness as much as possible. I try to get out of it as quickly as possible. God wants me to get as much out of it as I possibly can because he knows that there is something that he has for me, something that he has for you in that space, in that wilderness season you might be in right now that you'll discover no other way. And so as we look throughout scriptures, so many people have this wilderness experience with God, and yet it's something that we so often push away and avoid. But yet God always, in his economy, takes people into the wilderness for a season of sacrifice and obscurity before he puts them in a powerful place of prominence. That in God's economy, obscurity always precedes prominence. We see this throughout the scriptures. And so today, we're going to look at the story of Jacob. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, if you want to grab the blue Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you, you can do that and turn to page 16, real close to the front. And uh, we're going to look at this story of this guy named Jacob. Now, to give you some context, as we're turning there, Jacob's story is a little bit uh, eccentric and exciting. Uh, you know, he's, he's the third in the line of the very, very infamous uh, patriarchal family of the Jewish faith, our, our kind of heritage as we look through the scriptures of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Perhaps you've heard those three names before. And so Jacob's story, what we're picking up here in the middle of his life is that his life with God and his journey with his family has been all kinds of crazy and tumultuous. His parents, Isaac uh, and, and Rachel, they had this experience with infertility that for years and years and years, they could not get pregnant, and then a miracle pregnancy happened uh, that ultimately resulted in twins. Hello, so that was exciting. Uh, he was the younger brother of, of the tw two twins. His older brother, Esau, was this crazy outdoorsman. The Bible says he was just big and strong and covered in red hair. Uh, so if you're like me and have a preschooler, imagine Elmo, that's a bodybuilder. That's kind of Esau, right? And so he's got this crazy stuff. He steals his brother's blessing by taking advantage of his blind 
aging father. So, you know, taking advantage of a disabled senior citizen, brothers hunting brothers, fleeing to a distant land in the middle of the night uh, where he works for his uncle, falls in love with his cousin, gets married to both of his cousins. So we've got sister-wives situation going on. Uh, and then the crazy business deal to where he's now on the run being hunted. Yes, this is not an episode of the Jerry Springer Show. This is your Bible, right? And you thought it was boring. So here's, here's where we are, right? And you pick up the story. And, and we're in the middle of the story of Jacob, but we find ourselves at the end of Jacob. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like the story is in the middle. It's clearly not over, but you're at the end of yourself. That the life you've curated for yourself and the image maybe you've worked so hard to maintain just isn't holding up anymore. And all the work and all the effort just feels exhausting. And you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like you're trying and trying and trying and just can't make progress. That's where we find Jacob. So in chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 22, we're going to pick this up. And it says this. That night, Jacob took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river in Israel, separating modern Israel from Jordan. And he had sent them across the stream. He sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. So to give you an idea of what the context is happening is Jacob had moved to his uncle's land and worked for his uncle, married his cousins, and now his scheming uncle is out for Jacob's wealth. He had become extraordinarily wealthy, and his uncle was coming to take it from him. And so he flees in the middle of the night to run from his uncle, but then gets word that his brother, who he stole the blessing and birthright from his father, that his brother Esau is also hunting him down. So he's in between his scheming uncle and his bloodthirsty brother, and Jacob's caught in the middle. And he gets to this river, and he hears that Esau is on the other side. So he sends all of his family and all of his possessions across the river in this idea, I, I guess, that he's like, you know what, if my uncle's coming to take all my stuff, why don't I use my stuff while I still have it, send it over as a peace offering for my brother, maybe that will suffice his anger, and he won't kill me. I mean, that is a serious situation. And we pick it up, and Jacob was alone. And this is where we find ourselves at times, right? Where the things that we thought were going to bring us happiness and contentment they just don't satisfy anymore. The things, the dreams you thought that were going to happen in your life that haven't come true, the prayers that have gone still unanswered in your family, in your business, with your children, in your faith. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. Like, what? That's a weird turn. Like, you didn't expect that to be the next sentence in the verse. A man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. See, he might have thought that this was one of Laban's goons coming to get him. This might have been... Esau coming to put an end to him, and it, it, Jacob's mind, he might have been like, you know what, fine, like, let's, let's just end it all. But the Bible says they just wrestled until daybreak, I mean, because you know how guys do, they just wrestle, right? And so they're just, <laughs> they're just wrestling. And the man saw that he could not overpower him, meaning Jacob, so he touched the socket of his hip, and his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man, and the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Yet this is the guy that stole the blessing from his father, and yet here he is still, having given up all he has, never enough. I'll not let you go until you bless me. And so this man asked this incredible question, what is your name? What is your name? And you got to understand this, in ancient cultures, Jacob was literally translated in Hebrew to be deceiver. So if your name's Jake, this isn't about you, like it's not, that's, don't take, don't be bad. But that was what Jacob meant. And there were multiple seasons in his life 
or even his closest friends and family members have said, look, isn't he truly the deceiver? There he goes again. And for many of us, we've heard names of things we've been called. And at one point, they were put on us and we rejected them. But eventually, isn't it true? You and I have found ways to live into even the worst things said about us. What is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. The man said, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will no longer be this manipulating deceiver, but I call you Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome this name that would eventually become a people and even a nation that had lived up to that name. But Jacob said, please tell me your name. And the man says, why do you ask my name? The context there is, don't you already know who I am? And right there he blessed him. And so Jacob was called Israel, his name is changed, and then he does the similar thing, and he calls, he renames that place where he wrestled this man. He says, please tell me your name. Nope, I'm going to bless you. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And then this little verse happens, and it says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping. He was limping because of his hip. See, God has this pattern that when he renames something, He actually is calling out what it truly is, who it truly is. All throughout Scripture, things, people, places get renamed to restore who they are and actually reveal who they actually have been all along. And so Jacob says, I'm I'm a deceiver. And this man says, actually, no, you're not. You're someone who is willing to wrestle with God and you're not overcome. See, many scholars believe that this man that snuck up on him in the middle of the night was not an assassin sent to kill him by his brother. It was not someone sent by his uncle to steal from him. It actually is an image of a Christ figure showing up way, way early in our scriptures. Someone who actually would engage with Jacob so he could discover who he actually is, which is why when he's asked, who are you? He goes, don't you know? Don't you already know? I'm, I'm the one that you claim to follow, and yet you have lost your way. And so he wrestles with Jacob, and he doesn't destroy him. But there's this moment where the Bible says he touches the socket of his hip and puts it out of place. And in Jewish imagery, the hip means pride. It references a space of pride. And so for the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a limp, which is a good way to lose your pride until early 90s hip-hop. And then it was fine. But you're welcome. There you go. Thank you. Um, But this wrestling match with God, It's such a unique story. And I think there's something that it teaches us that is so deeply profound and so deeply connected to who we are as humans that God doesn't ask the wrong questions, but he asks extraordinarily personal ones. He doesn't show up and go, Jacob, what have you done with your life? How did you get here? What have you done? Like, that could have been the first question. Many of us that are parents, that's the first question we ask when we walk into a room that's a disaster because our kids have destroyed everything in our house and we live with little terrorists and negotiating with them is futile, right? And, and yet God's question is, who are you? This is the probing heart of our loving Heavenly Father saying, do you even know who you really are? I know what you've done to create this facade in your life. I know what you've done, what the image you've put out there. I know that you've worked really, really hard to get everything you want, and you thought that was going to satisfy, and now it's all gone anyways. Do you even know who you really are here, alone, in the dark, 
in the wilderness? And that's the question that the wilderness spaces cause us to ask, isn't it? When things that we attach to our comfort, our convenience, the numbers after our bank account, the letters after our name, whatever it might be, the religious facade we can so easily put on, we think that's what makes us us. And when those are taken away and we're left with something different, we ask the question, am I, am I even who I thought I was? I don't know if you've ever been in that space. I know I have. And yet God engages in that moment. And when he does so, he brings radical transformation to that space because Jacob is not willing to tap out and leave early. He wrestles with this man all through the night and he continues to hold on, ask for a blessing. And so when he leaves this space, this encounter with God, he literally wrestled him without relenting, without giving up, and he doesn't quit, and he leaves the encounter with a blessing, a new name, and a limp. And I think, what, what a beautiful picture of what it means to follow God. You're blessed, you're renamed, but you're limping. And, and God has this pattern throughout the scriptures. So many things are renamed. Abraham, you know, Jacob's grandfather, started out as Abram. He was renamed when he stepped into God's destiny for him. Daniel was originally named Belshazzar when he stepped in to reorient the entire community of Israel when they were in captivity. Peter, who we know as the Apostle Peter, the one on whom Jesus said, you are now a rock that I'm going to build my church, originally was just Simon the fisherman. But his destiny couldn't be contained in that name. Saul, the terrorist, the Christian killer, the Pharisee, became the Apostle Paul the one who wrote more than half of the New Testament, the one by single-handedly created what is what become the church that we now experience today, thousands of years later, thousands of miles away. Things get renamed all the time by God to reveal who they really are. And so he's renamed from Jacob, now called Israel, a name that would go to create a nation that would live into what that name means, to wrestle with God and humanity, suffering much, but not giving up. And so he leaves this encounter. I don't, you know, I don't know how it all worked out, but we read it. He crosses the river and he goes to his family and regains his life, but with a limp. Introduces himself as Israel. Sorry, new name. Who dis? Right? You know, that's his situation. And he reconnects with his brother. Reconnects with Esau. And much to his surprise, lives to tell the tale. And there's restoration and reconciliation in the future that I don't think would have happened in Jacob's life if God had not wrestled him, put him in a leg lock, and broken his pride to engage his situation, his fear, his future in a different way. His limp actually walks him into his future. And yet for many of us, many times for me, Knowing that if I actually wrestle with God through my pain, if I actually wrestle with God through my doubt or my frustration, wrestle with God in the spaces that I don't want to let anybody know about that are happening in my world, I can easily tap out early and quit because I don't want to walk around with a limp. I don't want to walk around people knowing that my life's not all put together. I don't want to walk around with my brokenness 
on display, but yet the Bible teaches us so clearly, and you know this already intuitively in your own life, even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, that it is your limp that might be the very thing that might link someone to Jesus. That your limp, your mistake, your brokenness, the thing that you wish could go away in your life, the wilderness season that you're in that might cause brokenness in your heart or in your marriage or in your finances could actually be the thing that builds credibility in a relationship that links someone else to Jesus. But we got to choose to be honest and to engage and to wrestle with God in those spaces. That when I show my brokenness, when I show that I don't have it all figured out, when the mask and the facade comes down, oftentimes what people say is, oh, really? You too? <laughs> you, you too? Like, you struggle with trusting God with your finances too? Like, you're a professional Christian. Yeah. Like, you're trying to figure out this parenting thing, and it's a, like a nightmare for you as well, like, 5 to 8 p.m., like, I just, it just disappears. I don't know, even know what happened. I don't know what day it is. Oh, me, me too. Oh, you've had moments in your life where you wanted to tap out and give up on God because it didn't go your way and you didn't see your way out and you, it was dark and it was lonely. You, like, you know what that tastes like? You, you know the bitter essence of losing a child? You know the bitter essence of walking you know, through pain with someone. You know the, the struggle that it is when who you want to be and who you look in the mirror at are different people. You, you, you know? And your limp becomes your link. It's what draws people in. It's what makes people believe you so that they have a shot at believing who God might be. All too often, I think it's going to be the success that draws people. It's going to be the appearance. It's going to be the keeping my head up. And I mean, that's exhausting, right? I mean, at your family functions or at brunch on Sunday afternoon or in your neighborhood or at your work. Where you, you know, God's good all the time. Everything's fine. And I'm not saying we don't have joy in the midst of hard circumstances. I'm not minimizing what you might be going through. Your circumstances are a contributing factor to your life, but they don't have to be the deciding factor. But you can actually say, God, I'm going to trust that you are going to do something even in this struggle. And if I walk with my limp and I let people see it, the story I have to share is one of grace, is one of the Savior, not one of my success. The Apostle Paul, again, who was renamed, his new life represented something to be emulated and, and charged after, but his previous life was far from it, but God still used him he writes to this influential port city church in the city of Corinth in ancient Greece, not unlike San Diego. And they were facing some of the same misunderstandings that many of us engage with when it comes to God, that when we face struggle, when things don't go our way, when we're not at the mountaintop, we're in the dark alone by the river or in the valley, that we assume that means that God has given up on us, that God's fallen asleep at the wheel, or that we messed up so bad that God has just chosen to move on to somebody else. That was their story. And yet the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7, says this, he reframes how we respond to our struggle, those painful moments and even those entire wilderness seasons. It says, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings 
so that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. See, you, you, you can't experience the comfort of God if there's no need for you to be comforted. So sometimes for many of us, we walk into wilderness spaces and we think because it's hard or because it's not what we expected, it means you did it wrong. And so you, you step back and go, maybe following God isn't for me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I didn't understand what I was getting myself into. And yet we see every person that was used by God in the scriptures for something powerful and something beautiful went through a season of wilderness, a season of suffering, a season of obscurity. And so Paul says, remember, remember in your struggle, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we also share abundantly in the comfort too. If we are afflicted, again, Paul is writing this from prison, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. And if we are comforted, it's also for your comfort. Don't miss that. If you're a follower of Jesus, every scenario of your life can be used to bless someone else. It may not feel good to you. It may not be what you hoped for, what you wanted. But even your difficult, most dark, uh, painful, mistake-ridden wilderness season, God is big enough, powerful enough, and loving enough to use it for someone else's good if you let him. Like That's how our limp becomes a link. He says, so if we're afflicted, it's for you. If we're comforted, it's for you. For it is your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. This last line is for somebody in here today. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know, there's that connection piece. We know, we get it. I actually understand, Paul says, that as you share in suffering, you will also share in our comfort. That is what makes community possible. When Paul, when Paul or you or me or the person down your row looks across and goes, yeah, me too. I get it. I get it. You think you're alone, but you don't have to be alone. You think you've done it wrong, and sure, you've made mistakes along the way, but God hasn't given up on you. You've lived into the name that someone else called you, but God has a new name for your future, a new destiny, a new direction, where even your sufferings can become sanctifying moments. Even your struggles can be the things that step above you that God uses for somebody else. Paul reminds the Corinthian church the same truth that we need to be reminded, and he speaks with authority because his identity is transformed and restored by Jesus himself. So what is it for you? Like, really personally, for real, what's your wilderness right now? Is it a relational rift? Something that was kind of managed well and underneath the surface showed up recently again? It's causing trouble in your marriage or trouble at work or pain between you and your kids? What is it for you? Is it a financial wilderness? Everything is fine. Everything is looking up and to the right, and this just came out of nowhere. Is it a financial wilderness? Is it, a, is it an old habit or an addiction, the place that you used to go to find validation and acceptance, whether that was from a group of people or a bottle or a porn site or a drug? And your life has been changed by God, but that invitation keeps coming back and whispering in your ear saying, 
Let me solve that ache you feel. We can fix this. No one has to know. Maybe for you it's a struggle that you live with every moment of every day, even right now, that no one knows about. The dark cloud of depression or the heightened intensity of anxiety, and it takes every ounce of energy that you have to manage getting through a day or coming to church or a family get-together, and you go home exhausted, and you can find yourself stuck in hopelessness or fear. I want to tell you that you're seen, and me too. Me too. And my hope for you is unshaken because I know what God brought me through. I know like it was yesterday. Just even though I thought, this is it. This is when it's all over. And I was this close to giving up on God. Didn't make sense. It was dark. I couldn't tell which way was up. And the idea that hope would be unshaken seemed as foreign as another language. And people came into my world and said, we're with you. We're with you. You can borrow hope from me. If you don't have it, borrow mine. And you know what God did? The loving touch of God both blessed me and injured the false self that I was so relentlessly holding on to. Displaced my hip that I walk with a limp, not in real life, but in brokenness in my soul. That that actually has become the space that God has done more in my life, more in my relationships, more in my faith, more in my leadership. Is in the space that I hated that I wanted to get out of so quickly. I remember sitting in my counselor's office, and she said, you have to understand that life is kind of like a half pipe. I'm like, I'm listening. I, I got it. I'm with you. Um, she's like, you, you ever go snowboarding on a half pipe? I'm like, not as much as I'd like. She says, well, the thing with a half pipe is you have to let it go take you down on one side to make it on the other side. If you dig your heel edge in, you won't have enough speed to get you out. You'll just be stuck at the bottom. I'm like, this is why I pay you $150 an hour. <laughs> get it now. And I remember sitting in her office crying. I said, I'm so scared to let myself go down into this wilderness. I, I saw it coming, and I was resisting it like you wouldn't believe. Maybe that's where you find yourself right now starting a new job, or you're starting a new parenting journey, or you're in grad school, and you're like, I'm spending all this money and all this time. Is it even going to make it any different on the other side? Is there even a job waiting for me? Maybe it's with your faith that you've had Sunday school answers your whole life, and now something has come into your story where you're like, I, we didn't talk about this when I was growing up. What do I do with this? Because this is the moment. These are the spaces that causes many of us to go, I don't know if I can trust this God, because we were never told that God wants to meet you and wrestle you in the wilderness. You were never given permission to wrestle with God. So you have permission. You actually have an invitation from the God of the universe to say, I have a dream for you, I have a destiny for you, but it's not going to be without difficulty. 
Destiny is never without difficulty. The plan God has for your life, anything good in your story will never come easy. Strong marriage, you don't drift into it. A great company doesn't happen overnight. Building a great church doesn't come by faking it. You've got to dig in and engage. Being a great parent, that's just a miracle. It's just that's hard, right? <laughs> Straight up. Getting through the loss of a loved one. And coming out on the other side with hope. Doesn't miss out. Trusting God with your finances. It's never easy. Engaging with God at this level feels scary all the time. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It's not. But that is the invitation. And what would be different in our world if we were a community that said, you know what? I'm going to allow God to wrestle with me, and I'm going to wrestle back, and I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to tap out. I'm not going to try to get out and quit early. I want everything out of this season that God has for me. I don't just want to get out as fast as I can. Because when you wrestle with God, he gives you a new name, a new life, a new destiny. One where even the struggles are sanctifying, like I said before, making you more aware of who you actually are and recognizing who God really is and that he's been with you all the time. He's not waiting for you to get back to civilization. He will meet you in your wilderness season. Even now, every step, even right where you are. My, one of my favorite authors, probably, a guy named Dan Allender, and he writes this book called Leading with a Limp. And he says this. He says, most people want to grow. I mean, we're at church on a Sunday, so you're the elite, right? If we were to say, how many of you want to grow spiritually? Most of us would raise our hand, right? All of us want to grow. But the price of growth, he says, is pain. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, we just read that verse. He wrote that in 2 Corinthians. He says, Paul reminds us that we are not merely to be humble and self-effacing, but to be desperate and honest. It's not enough to be self-revealing and authentic or transparent. Our calling actually goes far beyond that. We are called to be reluctant, limping, chief sinner kinds of leaders, chief sinner kinds of people. And even more than that, to be stories. To be stories of grace. To be stories of restoration. To be that link where people go, oh, you, I can trust you because you actually understand. I think for my life, when we engage, when I engage with God at that level, the fear is that we might lose everything the way Jacob had. But you will get a new name and a new destiny and a blessing and a limp. And even though your limp might limit you, you might think something that was beneficial to you got lost in the fire. That limp might be your favorite story to tell. People ask me, so tell me about you. Like, let me, t let me tell you a story about grace. You want to know how I got this scar? You want to know why I have this limp? You want to know why I can see you and engage with you? It's because I, you want to know why I know I'm not perfect? Let me tell you a story. 
And if the people of God begin to tell those kinds of stories, the Christian church, if we as a community begin to tell those kinds of stories, how God meets us in our wilderness spaces, how, how instead of getting us out of them, which is what we want him to do, he says, I got something in this for you. Will you receive it? Will you wrestle it out? Our faith will grow. Our trust will grow. And actually, even though we're limping, our beauty as a community will grow as people see God, not us. When we realize that freedom is discovered simply by laying it down and receiving the love and forgiveness that Jesus offers to each and every one of us. One of my prayers for our community today is that each of us would decide. We would decide. We would choose to no longer settle for the life that got us here, but to reach out, to wrestle for the life that God has for each and every one of us. Instead of trying to run away from the wilderness, we would stay in it long enough to find our true identity, to see ourselves as God sees us, and to even realize that your present struggle, the thing you're in right now, the thing that almost kept you from being here today, has a greater purpose because of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life. That ultimately what God has for us is himself. And that's actually enough. It's actually enough. And so I want to pray for you towards that end. So I, I would invite you to stand. Because for some of you, you you're here this morning and it took everything in you to get here. And, and you're like, get through the sermon because this is what I came for. I need, a, I need the voice of God to speak into my heart. I need somebody to pray for me. And so as we worship in a few moments, we always have our prayer team in the back and they would love to continue the conversation speaking the name of Jesus into your very real wilderness season. So don't miss that if that's what you need this morning. If you want to be that kind of community. I want to pray for all of us. So whether you're in a wilderness season right now or one that's coming for you, that you would get out of it everything you can and not run from it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I ask that these friends would receive the invitation from you to wrestle it out, to get out of whatever wilderness space they might be in, get out of it everything you have for them, rather than simply trying to get out of it as quickly as possible, because I know, I know in a room this size, there are people wrestling with all kinds of struggles struggles of faith, relational challenges, financial ones, struggles with health, struggles with fear. And yet, God, your love is available to us. It overwhelms us, actually. It undoes and then restores us. God, break us of our addiction to our image. Break us of our desire to be a pretty picture on the outside and invite us into a more authentic experience with you where we are quick to tell the stories of our brokenness, quick to tell the authentic truth of our limpness so that people see you. That's what I desire for myself. That's what I desire for each other person here. So Jesus, do that when you do. It's in your name that we ask all these things. 
Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue in our worship service, as we begin to sing songs of worship so that these are true about who God is and what he has for us, we want to do something that we do every time that we gather, and that's to receive our offering. And, and this is a time for us to simply give back to God. We're not paying God off or paying him back. We're simply responding with gratitude and say, wow, the fact that you love me the way you do, like we're going to sing in this song, brings me towards generosity. And so if you call Existence Church home and your life has been changed by being in this community, I would encourage you, whether it's a lot or a little, give with joy, give with generosity, knowing that creating a type of community where people can be seen, where we can walk around with our brokenness. We can't just enter the building, we can enter each other's lives, is a worthwhile investment. If you're here for the first time, please don't feel any obligation to give. We hope you know that you being here is a gift to us, and so we're grateful. But let's sing, let's give together, and again, our prayer team is in the back if you'd like some of this communion with Jesus.